baseball fans, I'm Matt Russell, and this is Three Strikes, You're Out, the Baseball History Podcast. Hey, it's spring training, and I'm lucky enough to be taking off in a few days for some Cactus League games. So, I'm calling this show a spring training edition. What a great time of year if you are a baseball fan. This show features a player who made an immediate impact when he made it to the big leagues. And if you are a longtime Giants or Cardinals fan, then you've probably heard of Orlando Cepeda. This guy was an amazing hitter who hit for both power and average and was a fun-loving clubhouse leader for the Cardinals as they went on to a World Series victory in 1967. He had an excellent career and an interesting life. So, let's get to it. Batter up! Orlando Cepeda played first base and the outfield for the San Francisco Giants, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Atlanta Braves for 15 of his 17 seasons, playing from 1958 through 1974. He was also one of the first players to become a designated hitter in 1973, where he was a standout with the Boston Red Sox. Among his many accomplishments, he was a seven-time All-Star. He was the 1958 National League Rookie of the Year. He won the National League Most Valuable Player Award in 1967. He was a World Series champion with the St. Louis Cardinals in 1967. He was the National League Home Run Champion in 1961. He led the National League in RBIs twice in 1961 and 1967. He had nine seasons where he batted over 300. He was the first winner of the American League's Outstanding Designated Hitter Award in 1973. And he was the second Puerto Rican baseball player, after Roberto Clemente, to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Orlando Manuel Cepeda Pinas was born in Ponce, Puerto Rico on September 17, 1937, to Carmen Pinas and Pedro Anibal Cepeda. Orlando had a brother, Pedro, who was four years older than him. He also had a number of half-sisters whom he grew close to. The family was poor and lived in houses without a telephone or refrigerator. His father was a famous professional baseball player in Puerto Rico, where he was known as Perucho and the Bull, and was widely considered one of the best players of his generation. Orlando became known as the Baby Bull. In recounting his childhood of poverty and the crime and drugs that surrounded him, he said, quote, What saved me was baseball and the talent I inherited from my father. Had it not been for baseball and the legacy of Perucho Cepeda, I could have followed my boyhood pals into a world of crime, violence, and hate." Unquote. His family moved a few times before settling in Santurce, a district of San Juan. Being a son of his famous father, Cepeda had a childhood dominated by the game of baseball, including visits from famous ballplayers, like pitching great Satchel Paige, his father's friend. Orlando played a lot of baseball. He also loved basketball, but suffered the first of his many knee injuries playing it when he was 15. During his long recovery, he grew 6 inches and added more than 40 pounds to his previously thin frame. Cepeda said, quote, Before I was in the hospital, we had a short wall. I couldn't hit over it. But afterward, whoosh! Unquote. He soon grew to 6 feet 1 and 210 pounds and was playing mainly first base. In late 1953, Cepeda, who was now just 16 years old, was scouted by Padrin Zorilla, who ran the Santurce Crabbers, or Congrajeros, in the Puerto Rican Winter League. If you listen to my show on Roberto Clemente, you'll recognize these names. 
For this show, I'll use Crabbers as a team name. It's easier to pronounce. Anyway, Zoria asked his friend Perucho if Orlando could serve as the Crabbers' bat boy and work out with the club. The next winter, Zoria arranged for the young Cepeda and a few other Islanders, including future big league teammate Jose Pagan, to go to a New York Giants tryout camp in Melbourne, Florida. Because they were all underage and had never left the island, they were accompanied by the 20-year-old Roberto Clemente on his way to spring training with the Pirates. Cepeda impressed at the camp and signed a contract that included a $500 bonus. Just days before Orlando's first professional game with the Salem Rebels of the Appalachian League, his father Perucho died after a long bout with malaria. He was just 49 years old. Cepeda returned home and used his bonus money for the funeral. He returned to Virginia and the Rebels, but struggled both on and off the field. He did not speak English, and he also encountered discrimination due to racial segregation that occurred under the Jim Crow laws. Cepeda remembered, quote, I lived in the black part of town, and on Sunday mornings I'd hear the people singing gospel music in the church across the street. I'd sit by the window in my room listening, and I'd cry from misery and loneliness, unquote. After a month with Salem, where he hit just two forty-seven with one homer, he was released. He wanted to quit and return to Puerto Rico, but Padrin Zoria convinced him to play for the Kokomo Giants, a team in the Mississippi-Ohio Valley League. Walt Dixon, the team's manager, assigned him to play third base. The 17-year-old Cepeda's bat started sizzling, and batting in the cleanup spot, he hit an awesome three ninety-three with 21 home runs in just 92 games. The next year, in Class C St. Cloud, Minnesota, all Cepeda did was win the Northern League Triple Crown with 26 home runs, 112 RBIs, and a three fifty-five batting average. He also shifted to playing first base. By 1957, he had made it all the way to the Minneapolis Millers, the Giants' AAA club in the American Association. It was during that spring that he first met Felipe Alou, a Dominican outfielder who became a lifelong friend. Alou was demoted to the Eastern League, but Cepeda became the club's first baseman and had another fine season with 25 home runs, 108 RBIs, and a 309 average. His manager, Red Davis, said, quote, If he ever learns the strike zone, he'll be murder up there. He's tough enough now, unquote. Cepeda drew just 27 walks, and he would always be known as a free swinger, much like another Puerto Rican great, Roberto Clemente. In 1958, the Giants moved from New York to San Francisco. After winning the World Series in 1954, the club had slid to sixth place in both 1956 and 1957. But help was on the way. When Cepeda arrived at spring training in 1958, he was joined by fellow prospects Felipe Alou, Leon Wagner, Willie Kirkland, Willie McCovey, Jim Davenport, and Jose Pagan. The Giants had an opening at first base because Bill White was serving a two-year stint in the Army. Whitey Lockman had held the position in 1957, but manager Bill Rigney asked him to work with a 20-year-old Cepeda that March. The youngster had a tremendous spring, crushing home runs, fielding his position well, and running the bases. One day, Lockman said to Rigney, Hey, Rig, this kid Cepeda is three years away. Rigney was startled and looked at him until Lockman said, from the Hall of Fame. On April 15, 1958, the Giants hosted the Los Angeles Dodgers at Seal Stadium in the first Major League game ever played in California. 
Cepeda signed his first Major League contract just 10 minutes before the start of the game, earning $7,000 for the season. He played first base and batted fifth, joining right fielder Kirkland and third baseman Davenport, also playing their first big league games. The Giants won 8 to nothing behind Ruben Gomez, with Cepeda hitting his first home run off Don Besant. This was the start of a magical season for the 20-year-old. His 13 home runs through May of 1958 are tied with Jock Peterson in 2015 for the second most by a National League rookie through the end of May in baseball history. Who was the first, you asked? It was the awesome Albert Pujols, who hit 16 homers by the end of May in 2001. Wow. Due to Cepeda's sizzling performance, the team raised his salary to $9,500 in June. He ended the magical season hitting 312 with 25 home runs and a league-leading 38 doubles, and was the unanimous winner of the 1958 National League Rookie of the Year Award. Cepeda and Willie Mays were the only National League players to finish the season ranked among the leaders in hits, home runs, runs batted in, batting average, runs scored, and stolen bases. Quite a season. Cepeda and the city of San Francisco were a perfect fit. While Willie Mays had starred in New York before the Giants moved west, San Franciscans considered Cepeda to be one of theirs, and the feeling was mutual. Right from the beginning, I fell in love with the city, Cepeda said. There was everything that I liked. We played more day games then, so I usually had at least two nights a week free. On Thursdays, I would always go to the Copacabana to hear Latin music. On Sundays, after games, I'd go to the jazz workshop for the jam sessions. At the Blackhawk, I'd hear Miles Davis, John Coltrane. I roomed then with Felipe Alou and Ruben Gomez, but I was the only one who liked to go out at night. Felipe was very religious and quiet, and Ruben just liked to play golf, so he wasn't a night person. But I was single, and I just loved that town. Man, Orlando was living the life. After the 1958 season concluded, Cepeda used his salary to buy a new house for his mother back home in Puerto Rico. That year, he also won the Puerto Rican League batting title with an average of 362, while his team, the Santurce Crabbers, won the league championship. At the start of the 1959 season, the Giants offered him a $12,000 contract, which he refused, instead asking for $20,000. After negotiations, the parties settled on $17,000. Cepeda's stardom was considerably complicated in 1959 by the arrival of Willie McCovey, another young hitting phenom who, like Cepeda, played first base. Though Cepeda had another great year in 1959, batting 317 with 27 homers, McCovey's extraordinary four months in Phoenix, where he hit 29 homers with a 372 average, forced the Giants' hand. When McCovey debuted on July 30th, hitting two singles and two triples, Cepeda played third base. After four games there, manager Bill Rigney moved Cepeda to left field, which he played for the rest of the season. The Giants spent most of the next five years dealing with the problem of having two all-star first basemen. Though McCovey had a great two months in 1959, he was plagued by inconsistency and struggles against left-handed pitchers for a few years. Cepeda, regardless of his position, kept playing and kept hitting, but his reluctance to play the outfield became a matter of controversy. Cepeda said years later, quote, I just wasn't ready mentally. I know I could have played left field if I'd put my mind to it, but I was only 21 years old and very sensitive. Friends and other players kept telling me I should demand to play first. It was all pride with me, 
and ignorance, unquote. Manager Bill Rigney recalled, quote, I could understand his reluctance, but Cepeda was the better athlete, so I thought he could make the move to another position more easily. But he would come up to me and say, Bill, I'm the first baseman, not the left fielder. What could you do? He was the most popular San Francisco giant. It was very hard not to like Orlando Cepeda, but this became an unresolvable situation, unquote. McCovey was back in the minor leagues briefly in 1960, which got Cepeda his first base job back, and the two shuttled between the outfield and first base in 1961. In 1962, manager Alvin Dark moved McCovey to left field, and Cepeda was back at first base. Cepeda kept hitting, but McCovey did not become a consistent star as long as he and Cepeda remained teammates. It must be said that even though Cepeda and McCovey had a rivalry at first base, they eventually ruined with each other on the road. Cepeda said that there was never any ill will between them and that they were always friends. Most of Cepeda's offensive seasons look alike, but his 1961 season stands out as a singularly great year. He led the league with 46 home runs and an amazing 142 RBIs while hitting 311. Cepeda himself considers this his best statistical year. He finished second in the most valuable player voting after Frank Robinson. Baseball held two All-Star games each season from 1959 to 1962, and Cepeda was named to the team all eight times, starting in five of them. In his career, he was named to 11 All-Star teams, playing in nine of them but hitting just one for 27. Although he continued to play, Cepeda hurt his right knee in a home plate collision in 1961 and never had another day without pain. After a few years of criticism for their underachieving, the Giants finally broke through in 1962 to win their first pennant in San Francisco. After tying the Dodgers at 101-61 and 61 through the regular schedule, they prevailed in a best-of-three pennant playoff before falling to the New York Yankees in seven games in the World Series. Cepeda had another excellent season, batting 306 with 35 homers and 114 RBIs. The season was not without its problems. He was fined by manager Alvin Dark in August for not hustling, then hit just 231 with three homers after August. In the regular season final, Dark benched him, though Cepeda had four hits the day before in a doubleheader. He played in all three playoff games, going 3-for-13 with a home run, but then hit just 3-for-19 in the World Series. Cepeda's final years in San Francisco were clouded by his terrible relationship with Dark. Cepeda believed that Dark did not like blacks or, especially, Latinos. Dark did not approve of the Giants' many Latino players speaking Spanish, and he believed their loud Latino music and laughter to be indicative of not taking the game seriously. Among the things that Dark did after being named manager was to order the Latin American players to stop speaking Spanish in the clubhouse. Cepeda immediately confronted him. After this, Dark avoided calling the Hispanic players to any team meeting. Dark also developed his own plus-minus rating system in which he gave people positive or negative points for what they did on the field. Willie Mays, unsurprisingly, led the 1962 team with over 100 points. Cepeda came in at negative 40. Dark said, quote, There are winning 275 hitters and losing 310 hitters, unquote. That Dark kept such a system and publicly used it to denigrate one of his players is astonishing. On a personal note, 
Alvin Dark was hired as manager of the A's after Dick Williams resigned after the second A's World Series win in 1973. And I have to say, he did not compare well with Williams. In his remaining two years managing the Giants, Dark had run-ins with Cepeda numerous times for what the manager believed was a lack of hustle and what Cepeda claimed was a hurt knee. The knee hurt me all the time, said Cepeda, and I always aggravate it when I slide or stretch or even hit. Some people think that because we are Latins, because we did not have everything growing up, we are not supposed to get hurt. But my knee was hurt. Dark thought I was trying not to play. He treated me like a child. I am a human being, whether I am blue or black or white or green. We Latins are different, but we are still human beings. Dark did not respect our differences. During the winter of 1962-63, Cepeda returned to the Puerto Rican Winter League, where he suffered a knee injury while training. In 1963, he played the entire Major League Baseball season with the injury, not informing the Giants out of concern for his spot on the roster. He was in constant pain, but was in the race for the batting title along with Roberto Clemente, Dick Grote, and Tommy Davis, eventually finishing fifth. His batting average was 316 with 34 home runs and 97 RBIs. His knee continued to hurt, but through it all, Cepeda continued to hit. He batted 304 with 31 home runs in 1964. Through the first seven years of his career, he had hit 309 with a 353 on-base percentage and a 537 slugging percentage. His 222 home runs were three more than Hank Aaron had through his first seven seasons. At the end of the 1964 season, Cepeda was still just 27 years old. When he reported to spring training in 1965, he could barely put any weight on his knee. New manager Herman Franks, like Dark, felt that Cepeda was dogging it, so Cepeda tried to tough it out. After hobbling through the spring, Cepeda was used mainly as a pinch hitter for the first month of the season, with three singles and ten at-bats, before finally going on the disabled list in May. He returned as a pinch hitter in August, but finished with just a 176 batting average and 34 at-bats for the year. After the season, he had surgery on his right knee. When he returned in the spring of 1966, McCovey was finally fully entrenched at first base. Playing mostly left field, Cepeda started slowly but was hitting 286 with three homers in 19 games on May 8th. On that date, he was traded to the St. Louis Cardinals for pitcher Ray Sadecki. Though Cepeda was shocked and upset by the trade, he was joining a team that had a gaping hole at first base, the only position he wanted to play. In fact, Cepeda never played the outfield again. Batting cleanup for the rest of the year, he homered in his first game and finished the season hitting 303 with 17 home runs in 123 games for the Cardinals. For his performance, he was named the National League Comeback Player of the Year. After years of discomfort in San Francisco, Cepeda was accepted warmly by his teammates and manager Red Shandienst. He became a jokester in the clubhouse, and his taste for jazz and Latin music earned him the nickname Cha-Cha. Cepeda relished the change. He said, quote, You know, if I do all this in San Francisco, they would give me a funny look all the time, and everyone would think there is something wrong with me, unquote. Cepeda responded to his new environment by starting the 1967 season strongly, at one point driving in seven runs in a single game. The Cardinals battled the Cubs in the early league standings, 
but the team took control of the National League pennant race as the season progressed. Cepeda's offense was consistent and strong, finishing June as the league's leader in doubles. He played in his seventh All-Star game, which the National League won 2-1. Cepeda was named the National League Player of the Month for the only time in his career in August, when he batted .352 with 5 home runs and 25 RBIs. The Cardinals won the pennant by 10 and one half games, with a record of 101-60, and, and defeated the Boston Red Sox in 7 games to win the World Series. He finished the season hitting .325 with 21 game-winning hits and a league-leading 111 RBIs. And you have to remember, during this period, Pitchers were overpowering the hitters, and it was rare for a hitter to hit over 300. With his fantastic season, Cepeda was named the National League Most Valuable Player. He was the second National League player after Carl Hubble to win the award unanimously. Cepeda, Albert Pujols, Frank Robinson, and Mike Trout are also the only players in baseball history to win the Rookie of the Year and Most Valuable Player awards unanimously. That is some fine company to be in. He was also the first Latin player to win the home run and RBI titles. Unfortunately, after his MVP season in 1967, the 30-year-old Cepeda followed up with the worst full season of his career, batting just 248 with 16 home runs. The 1968 Cardinals returned to the World Series, but lost this time to the Detroit Tigers in seven games. After hitting poorly in the series in both 1962 and 1967, this time, Cepeda hit 250 and slugged two home runs. Cepeda returned to spring training in 1969, hoping for a comeback year with the Cardinals. But on March 17th, he received the unwelcome news that he had been traded to the Atlanta Braves for star catcher and first baseman Joe Torre. Cepeda loved St. Louis and his teammates, and he was uncomfortable with the idea of playing in the South. But when he got settled in at the Braves spring training facility at West Palm Beach, he was welcomed to the team by Hank Aaron himself. He was also reunited with his good friend Felipe Alou, and he started feeling at home. He did struggle some in his first year in Atlanta, hitting just .257 with 22 home runs and 88 RBIs. But it was a big success for the team, which finished first in the National League West with a record of 93-69 in the first year of divisional play. Cepeda hit .455 in the playoff series against the Mets, with a home run off future Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan in Game 3, but the Mets swept the three-game series. Cepeda came back with a vengeance in 1970, hitting 305 with 34 home runs and 111 RBIs, but the Braves dropped to fifth place in their division due to a mediocre pitching staff. Cepeda started 1971 as good as ever. On June 1st, he was slugging 584 with 13 home runs among the league leaders in both categories. Later that month, in the act of getting up to answer the telephone at home, his left knee, up until then his good knee, collapsed. The Braves' doctors told him the knee was finished. He hobbled out to first base for a few weeks before finally shutting it down in late July. He underwent yet another knee surgery in September and went home to Puerto Rico. A hobbled Cepeda showed up at spring training wanting to play. He played only twice in April. In May, he hit 350 playing halftime but with little power. But he hit just 182 in June. On June 29th, he was traded to the Oakland A's for pitcher Denny McLean, another recent MVP who looked to be nearing the end of the line. He pinch hit just three times for Oakland. After the season, he was released. 
With two bad knees, Cepeda's career looked to be finished. But on January 11, 1973, the American League agreed to a three-year trial run of the designated hitter rule, allowing a batter to hit in place of the pitcher throughout the game. There was suddenly a place in the game for good hitters who could not play the field. A week later, the Red Sox signed Cepeda with this role in mind. His first hit with the team was a walk-off home run to beat the New York Yankees. For the 1973 season, Cepeda played 142 games, never once playing in the field. He hit 289 with 20 home runs and 86 RBIs and was the first recipient of the Designated Hitter of the Year Award. This award would later be named the Edgar Martinez Award. Cepeda's 20th home run established a major league record, making him the first player to hit 20 or more home runs with four different teams. Just before the 1974 season, new manager Daryl Johnson decided he wanted to make room for younger players, and he released Cepeda and veteran shortstop Luis Aparicio, surprising many fans. Cepeda was crushed and remarkably was unable to find another job. He played briefly in Mexico before finally being signed by the Kansas City Royals in August. He hit just 215 and 107 at-bats before drawing another release. This time, he was finally through after 17 seasons and 379 home runs. Cepeda's life after baseball took an abrupt downturn. In December 1975, he was arrested for taking delivery of 170 pounds of marijuana. Although he admitted to being a marijuana user, he claimed that he was expecting only a small amount for himself and that he was not a dealer. Puerto Rico had made Cepeda a hero after the tragic death of Roberto Clemente three years earlier, but his arrest made him a pariah on the island. He and his family received death threats. He lost all of his money on his legal case, which caused him to miss child support payments and led to more legal trouble. He finally stood trial in 1978 and was found guilty, and was sentenced to five years in prison. He served 10 months in a minimum security facility in Florida. Upon his release from prison, Cepeda continued to struggle. Still shunned at home, he had trouble finding and keeping work. He got a job as a minor league hitting coach for the White Sox, but failed to show up a few times and was let go. In 1984, he, his wife Nydia, and their two children moved to Los Angeles so he could conduct baseball clinics. But after a few months of family strife, his family moved back home, leaving Orlando with Orlando Jr., who had joined him in L.A. Orlando credited his embrace of Buddhism in the 1980s for turning his life around. It allowed him to take responsibility for the mess he had made of his life and to help him find a path forward. He also met Miriam Ortiz, a Puerto Rican woman who eventually became his third wife. He and Miriam moved to the Bay Area, close to where his baseball journey had begun 30 years earlier. In 1987, he took part in a Giants fantasy camp in Arizona. A team official recalled, quote, Of all the ex-ball players we had there, Orlando was the approachable idol. I couldn't believe it. I kept waiting for the flaws to show in that great personality, but there were no flaws. He is such a genuine person, such an emotional person, that you feel like hugging him. You get the sense that people just want to love him. I asked him if he'd be interested in coming back to work for the Giants. Unquote. The next year, Cepeda started by making trips for the team to scout or help with instruction. In the 1989 National League Championship Series, he was asked to throw out the first ball before the third game, listening from the pitcher's mound as the cheers rained down on him. 
For more than 25 years, Cepeda acted as a humanitarian ambassador for the club, showing up wherever and whenever they wanted him to, including inner-city schools throughout the country. He also made appearances in Puerto Rico, his native island, that once again embraced him. In 1999, Cepeda was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame 25 years after his last at bat. He said, quote, I wasn't ready to get in before. I still had work to do in healing myself, unquote. That same year, the Giants retired his number 30. It hangs on the facing of the upper deck in the left field corner of AT&T Park. In September 2008, the Giants unveiled a statue of Cepeda outside the 2nd Street entrance of AT&T Park. After seeing his statue, Cepeda said, quote, When things like this happen to you, that's when I say to myself, Orlando, you're a very lucky person, unquote. He is the fifth Giant to be honored with a statue. The other players are Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Juan Marichal, and Gaylord Perry. Orlando Cepeda's life certainly reached some amazing heights and then abruptly suffered an equally amazing fall from grace. But ultimately, after years of hard work and dedication, Cepeda found redemption in the game he loved so much. He was an awesome hitter, hitting for both high average and power. He was a Rookie of the Year, the National League Most Valuable Player, a World Series Champion, and he was the first winner of the Edgar Martinez Award. He is a Hall of Fame player and he is now a much-admired ambassador of the game for the San Francisco Giants. He has truly had an amazing life. Next time, Three Strikes You're Out will feature another great player from Major League Baseball history, but I'll let it be a surprise for now. I'm off to spring training. I hope to see you there. See you in the bleachers. Special mentions go out to the following. I would like to thank YouTuber Mr. Runnerholic. Look him up for his permission to use his cover of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Also, I have to mention the great internet baseball history resource Sabre.org or Society for American Baseball Research. I use this extensively for my shows and really love their well-written and researched articles. I recommend you take a look. You won't be sorry. For show notes and a list of sources I use for the show or to make a comment, please visit my website, threestrikesyearout.com. Also, if you get a chance, please leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Any feedback would really help. Thanks. <laughs>